0: Welcome back to Leaders Recon on the Road. Today we're talking a little bit about aviation with our own Chief trust DC Army National Guard, who uh, went from—I believe you told me once—truck driver to to aviator. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's a fun, unusual fact about uh, you, Chief?
1: Uh, I don't—I I don't know if it's fun, but I suppose the. Uh... My kind of pathway in the military has t- taken me through all the compos. So I started uh, in the reserve as a truck driver, uh, went uh, via an active duty transfer through flight training, uh, spent seven years on active duty and then transferred over to the DC guard. So uh, essentially went from compo three to compo one to compo two. So I've kind of hit all a the- little all little all, all the hot spots for the army.
0: So you, you, you've had quite a little path there then. Can you tell us what that story is, was like, like from, you know, entry into the military to becoming an aviator?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I grew up in, in the Midwest, like in uh, Iowa, Nebraska kind of area. And uh, coming out of high school, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to pay for college, so I joined the reserve. Um, kind of limited on where you're, where you're going to go or who you're going to join because you kind of got to be central to where whatever units near where you're going to college. So, uh, like I said, 88 Mike, uh, through basic training and stuff, uh, was in the reserve for about 10 years, did a bunch of deployments. Uh, on my first one though, I, I quickly realized that it's better in the sky than it is on the ground. So I seen helicopters, uh, flying overhead from the get go and I started making plans to get there. So as soon as I got done with college, uh, I put in my warrant officer flight packet and I did that via an active duty transfer. Uh, so that was actually a very interesting scenario. I don't, I don't really know too many people that have done like a compo change with a flight training. Um, and you know, it, it was funny, like who cut your orders at the time? Like my losing reserve unit isn't gonna send me to flight school when I'm going on active duty. So I essentially had to go to MEPS to go to flight training so that was an interesting yeah, story. Whole,
0: sounds like there's a, probably a lot of paperwork. Uh, yeah, snack yeah.
1: There. I did. Yeah, I didn't get paid for like six weeks, and then got back paid, and like all the all the things. You know, everybody was like, "Who is this kid? What's he trying to do here? What's he doing at Fort Rucker, Alabama, flight training right now?" Um, so, now,
0: when, when when once you got once you became an aviator, you did that in the active component for a little while, or when did you make that transition to the guard? Now,
1: yeah. So. I, as soon as I graduated candidate school, it, like I said, it was a reserve to active transfer via flight training. So, uh, I initially went through flight training in uh, late 2011, uh, all the way through 2012. And then, uh, upon completion of flight training, uh, my first duty assignment was out in Hawaii for 25th Infantry Division, 25th Combat Aviation Brigade, Air Assault, doing all the Air Assault stuff you can think about, repels, paradrops, helocasts putting guys on the X. And you got to live in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. and I got to live in Hawaii. And I got to deploy from Hawaii, too, and did the Operation Pacific Pathways stuff. Okay, Um, And then my second tour after that was uh, here at Fort Belvoir uh, for the VIP unit, where we primarily um, service Secretary of Defense, Secretary of the Army, uh, basically anybody that's not the POTUS or Vice President, a bunch of four stars, you know, all all the VIPs out of the Pentagon. and then when my tour was up there, you know, I basically walked down the street, said, hey, DC Guard, are you looking for pilots? They said, heck yeah. So here there I am, are. The D- DC Guard now.
0: Now, how is the op tempo with the DC Guard well, on the right, aviation side? Yeah.
1: yeah so really, op tempo for aviation in general is high. So they're already on a pretty condensed timeline as far as deployment cycles. You know, a, a, lot, a lot shorter cycles than, than other than other kind of branches and and, you know a lot of guys are are doing five six seven years in between deployments but aviation assets are always required everywhere you go especially medevac um, and just transportation in general via air assets so um not and then not to take away from the the whole you know capital uh insurrection riot stuff all the all the headline stuff that's been going on over the last year in dc so we're right in the middle of that too so there is quite quite a yeah because that's a unique kind of a unique role right in dc guard because because
0: there's like no governor so you have a different little bit of a different role
1: yeah the dc national guard is unique in that uh the governor is not in our chain of command we basically report directly to secretary of defense um you know that's some higher echelon stuff for me <laughs> I, you know I'm, I'm i'm just the guy wiggling sticks and making the, the making the blades turn so
0: getting back to the aviation piece i guess then you know i have many times looked up and been like, man, I would love to be uh, flying above all this shenanigans. Um, You know, what are some of the basic prerequisites that you have to have to even be considered to be an aviator for like age and so on?
1: Yeah. So all the stuff that if anybody wants to become an aviator is pretty much clearly outlined on the United States Army recruiting website. Um, Obviously, there's some things that are kind of unique. You're going to need a you know, a class one army aviation flight physical. Uh, and you can get those from uh, any place that has flight medicine, most major installations. And if there's an aviation unit on the installation, there's going to be a flight doc. Okay. Scheduling that is always difficult if you're not an aviator. And you know, that's one of the hurdles, right? Um, obviously there's a, a flight aptitude test. Uh, when I took it, it was called the AFAS, but it's called the SIFT now, okay. and it's a little different. It's it's kind of about like spatial orientation and how you see shapes and stuff and, and things like that. But um, passing that is a prerequisite to becoming uh, an aviator. And this Um, is
0: just to even put your packet in. So uh, just to clarify, you said, like, is there any, is there any age brackets that you know of? I know those might change from time to time, but.
1: Yeah, there are. Um, I haven't looked recently. When I went through, I think it was 36, but we were growing and I think it's back down to, I think 32, I want to say, but, but that's, that's clearly on on the website. But that being said, waivers are available for almost everything. So there are age waivers like that stuff still exists. And and I've I've personally known people that have been selected at 46 years old. So, oh, um, well, wow. you know, there's there's active federal service waiver, active federal service requirements. I think right now they don't want you to have more than eight years, I want to say. Once again, still on all on the website. That's that I'm not the the source. That you know, that's the official sources, the recruiting website. But that does change as as time goes.
0: So, and is there any rank requirements? I know, like f- both for officers or for enlisted personnel that are wanting to become those warrant officers.
1: Um, so there is no rank requirement for a warrant officer. Um, there's actually no feeder for aviation either. So normal um, tech warrants or ground warrants, as we say. Um, have feeder MOSs, so if you're an intel uh, guy in a 35 series or whatever, and then you uh, wanna become an intel warrant, there will be specific stuff. You need to be a, an E6 staff sergeant, you need to have eight years of intel on your belt or whatever. The thing is, there's no, you, there's nothing enlisted side in the military that equates to being a pilot. There's no, like I was a baby pilot, now I can be a, a big boy pilot, like yeah, yeah. even being, uh, and, and we we all appreciate our crew chiefs and everybody, but like they don't fly a, a plane or a helicopter, so it, it doesn't really translate. So that being said, there is no feeder, so uh, it is completely acceptable to be 18 years old off the street and become a pilot and be a W one with a, no background experience. So yeah, I mean, whatsoever. you could
0: be like a an E two coming in and put in your warrant packet then. Or is there?
1: There's, sure, you could okay. be an E zero. You could be, not even be in the military and become a warrant officer okay Uh, and be a pilot i didn't realize that yeah so that's really interesting so then i guess can you give us can you walk
0: us through then like i guess from your experience on the i know yours is a bit unique scenario but what it looks like you know hitting all those gates from you know entrance or interest in becoming an aviator to becoming a warrant officer
1: uh yeah at the school so kind of a couple different scenarios um when we talked about the street to seat stuff i think you know for me where i where i kind of grew up in life like i there wasn't like aviation around and you know there wasn't helicopters flying over my head in the cornfields of iowa so like i didn't really kind of get it uh but as i kind of grew a little bit i'm like wow that seems like a really cool thing to do um and something that i strive for so a lot of people in my community, have, we're enlisted prior? I mean, and they a multitude of MOSs. I mean, anything you could think of. So I mean, got a bunch of eleven bravos. A bunch. Of, I mean, there's 88 mics. There's you know, food service. Whatever, whatever you were doing. Yeah, before. I met one of the
0: warrants outside who uh, was had a, had his CIB right. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. So all yeah, we have some old guard guys in here that you know, tomb of the unknown soldier and all that stuff, and doing doing some pretty pretty high speed stuff. You know, a lot of uh. You know, a lot of rangers, long tabbers and stuff, come over to the aviation side, you know, after grinding it out for 12 years and being an E6 or E7 and, and getting their, their self beat up, they said, you know, maybe, maybe I have to put the ruck in the back of the helicopter instead of on, on my own back. You know what I mean? So a lot, a lot of that happens too. Um, so,
0: okay, so just to clarify, so you're, you're interested, you know, soldiers interested in becoming an aviator, well, whether they're just entering or whether they've had some experience, they need to get a couple of those prerequisites done, like the SIF tests, like the flight physical, and then they just put in a packet to, how does that work? Or is it di- different depending on which state you're in?
1: Yeah, so, and it depends on your compo too. So if you're doing it on the active side, it's all through HRC. So, um, and if you are enlisted, you know, there's obviously there's some, like kind of the standard stuff, like your NCO last five, four, whatever NCOERs Um, you know APFT or ACFT or whatever the new the new jazz is for that and you know and
0: do you have to get a letter of recommendation I heard something about that one time
1: yeah so uh, if you are um, already in you know and you're doing it through the enlisted side you're gonna probably you're gonna have a letter of recommendation from your company commander your battalion commander and a senior warrant officer in the field that you're, and obviously my field is aviation. So okay. um, you're gonna look for those letters of recommendations. Um, for the guard side, it's, it's pretty similar. If you're already in the guard, you're still gonna need all those letters of recommendations, still gonna need the, the flight physical, you're still gonna need all that stuff, but you're gonna be boarded at your state instead of boarded at HRC or something you know, in a larger entity. Uh, those announcements come out to every state uh, as as needed, right? If they don't need pilots, they're not going to announce for pilots. But uh, many times they do. So usually you see them at least where I'm at twice a year or so. And okay, and so you'll you'll see them. You see the announcements. You'll see all the stuff that the state specifically requires for the packet. But all the stuff there is going to be at least what the minimum is for like big army, right? So you're still going to need the sift test. You're still going to need a None of that stuff's ever gonna get waived. Um, and then, uh, and they they could also want more stuff too. Your state could be very selective, especially if they have many applicants or they, they, they anticipate many applicants, but they'll board it, OML it, and they say, we can take five this year or whatever. And then if you're in the top five, you're going, you know?
0: So then I guess, what's the flip side of that? You know, I, fun fact, I, I took the SIF test in ROTC. <laughs> Uh, Mainly because my buddy really wanted to go to flight school and he was like, do you think that's a hard test? And I was like, I don't know. So I just (laughs) took the test. Um, So pass though, first time go. So uh, I guess I'm on my first step there, you know, (laughs) but uh, what does that look like for officers? Then, you know, uh, is there you can you can you transition as an officer once you've already commissioned into a into a branch to aviation? Um, And then also, what does that look like if you're just a newly commissioned officer in the guard?
1: Uh, Yeah, so If you are a newly commit, so same thing with we'll we'll start with the second part of that question. But if you are trying to become a commission officer and you're doing the ROTC route or OCS route, it's still kind of the same thing. There's still like a a board that's held at the state level. So it's important to find a state that's looking for aviators and uh, almost all states are at some point. It's just how long you're willing to wait or whatever and and really making that uh, introduction and connection with everybody. Um, and then putting your packet in, and the same stuff will be on there. Uh, it's just your commissioning source is different. So instead of through candidate school, Warrant Officer Candidate School, it's either through OCS, ROTC, or you know uh, those means. And then as far as rebranching, rebranching is a thing, and that's the same thing for all branches. I mean, you could go from infantry to armor if you wanted to, but you could go infantry to aviation if you wanted to as well. Um, kind of the same thing though, you're still looking for uh, people to bless off on that. And that might be a little bit more difficult because technically you're poaching from one place to put you in another place. So it kind of depends on strength on both sides and stuff like that. And it, and it's not unheard of. I've, I've seen people do it. Um, but then as an, as an O grade, you also kind of want to think about your career trajectory. Like how late are you, how long have you been doing, infantry and do you want to start to be a new pilot as a senior captain that you know that might not be you know have you held company command now you haven't held aviation command you know and and there's definitely some questions nuances to each one yeah so so then i guess so
0: from the guardsman perspective then you know i know that you so you find that unit that accepts you either side whether it's the warrant side or the or the o-grade side what is um you know what's the next step from there i mean you go to i'm guessing flight school and where is that located
1: yeah so once 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 your application is is blessed off signed and and you're accepted then you're going to start the whole flight school pipeline so this will start with a pcs to fort rucker alabama the mighty lower south of alabama it's uh it's hot muggy in the summer and it it's cold for PT in the mornings in the winter. It doesn't make any sense. But um, how uh, long is that? So it, it varies because Fly school essentially is just that pipeline. It's, it's about five or six different courses. Okay. So uh, they call them bubbles. There could be anywhere from, they, and they're condensed now, but you heard horror stories, well, not horror stories, but you heard stories of 10 years ago where people had months in between these courses. So that would drag it out to be two plus years. But I think everybody's kind of getting through there now and uh anywhere from like 14 to 16 months or so 13 to 16 months because if you only have a week in between you know you're, you're getting so through. it's like but, year year
0: and a half is what you're saying yeah right. about
1: a year probably less than a year and a half but somewhere around there yeah so
0: and real quick you know so once you once you've gone into that pipeline i know that there's additional service requirements or, or adso's for aviators does that hit when you sign up for aviation when you graduate the pipeline and what are those requirements like right now
1: yeah that uh i wish somebody would have told told me this Uh, not not that it would made a difference to me but but sometimes the stuff is kind of hidden in some regulation right now um all the additional or active duty service obligations adsos are on completion of flight school so for me it was six now it's 10, so it's 10 after flight school, so. 10 you, years? 10 years, yeah, so if you do 18 months of flight school, you gotta understand that you're signed up for 11 and a half years of the Army just to go on the active side. The National Guard, it's not an ADSO, but it's an RDSO, which is the same thing essentially, but it's still 10 years on the backside of flight school, so. So 10 years after, after you become an aviator. <laughs> Same thing, even with that stuff, though, is you can, the stuff's kind of ever evolving and they're trying to, you know, the the Army tries to keep you and lock you in, but then sometimes that turns into people hesitant to get in. And so then they say, we need to recruit more. Well, maybe if we, you know, and you yeah, see this, a whole, like, kinda, this whole slinky thing of stuff. So it's always one of those things, look, find the latest and greatest regulation, you know, because... As as smart as Chief is, I'm I'm not I'm not you know, a, a book of regulations. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like every chief's a walk yeah, regulation. Yeah, regulations. Right? I, yeah. I try to be humble, but it's all it's all locked in.
0: <laughs> so getting back to the flight school piece of it. Yeah. I fi- you know, I get my letter wrecked, I'm accepted into a unit, I finally get to do fly helicopters, which sure. is what I really wanted to do this whole time. How does that you know you, you mentioned it's like five or six different schools yeah is that dependent on your airframe or how does that work
1: no it all it'll all be the same amount of schools just the length of the last one is gonna be different <laughs> so okay. so you're gonna start out as a warrant officer you start out with candidate school um, and that's five to seven weeks depending on if you're basically if you're at e4 or higher okay. uh, if you're if you're a later rank then you get a shorter, like a two week shorter course uh, following that Bullock, uh so like kind of the same officer stuff uh and you learn staff functions and all the all the good officer stuff and that's uh i think what i went through is like six weeks same thing stuff kind of changes okay um following that there's kind of a <laughs> like the gi joe school so you do the dunker stuff where you get dunked in a simulation cockpit into a pool and you learn how to like swim out of a thing with your with your eye, with your eyes blinded and all this stuff oh, that's fun. you do like the uh Centrifugal stuff where, like, they make you hypoxic and, and uh, make you feel like you're drunk in the sky or whatever, and you, you're making crazy decisions. So they, and then you go through sear school uh, survival uh, evasion or resist and escape. So, eating bugs in lower Alabama for, for several weeks. And how lit, was that? Uh, it was fun. <laughs> it was a great school. It was great. Uh, but that school is about just over three weeks, I think. And then, and then, after all that after all this the, so that's already probably four months of your pipeline yeah still haven't even seen a helicopter yet <laughs> so you finally got through candidate school you finally got through the officer stuff you finally got through the bug eating stuff then you get a touch of helicopter so you start with uh, contact and primary and that's uh flying the trainers that are down there uh in my old days we used to fly the the um th 67 creek helicopter which is a fantastic bird they just recently retired it uh super sad about that and now the trainers are actually all lakotas okay so, so they're Yeah, flying. See, I, I
0: probably read about that
1: yeah so they divested that they're all they're all lakotas down there and then uh and that's basically maneuvers learning how to hover learn about airspace learning the basics of being a pilot um and that eight weeks ish i want to say um, maybe 12 depends but following that, then you're going to go into instruments where you're, going to t- where you're going to learn how to fly in clouds and navigate via no spatial orientation, but okay. purely on instruments in the cockpit. Um, you're going to go through that, and that's, that's a real eye-opener, even though you can't see anything. Um, and then, once you complete that, you go into your advanced airframe. Okay. So from here is where, uh, if you're on the active side, like you put a wish list up, and Active don't care. <laughs> so they'll say, uh, you'll say, hey, I want to fly nooks And Active Army will say, we have eight Blackhawks and seven Apaches. And you'll say, I want to fly nooks, And they'll be like, we've got eight Blackhawks and seven Apaches. <laughs> and then
0: once you, and so on the Active side, once you committed to an airframe, then that's your airframe. Is that correct? or?
1: Uh, so you'll go through the pipe, you, you continue, and you'll do the advanced air, airframe qualification, and you'll go to a unit and you'll fly that airframe. But it's not uncommon for people to switch airframes as well. Okay. To, uh, but
0: so for those of us in the guard, though, we, uh, I'm like I'm assuming when we when we get that letter of acceptance into that unit initially, that unit's already going to have an airframe, so we're just dedicated into to whatever our unit already flies.
1: Yeah, National Guard will stand up in the same in the same selection room, at least, you know, seven years ago for me yeah. now, in the same selection room and just tell you they're gonna fly a Chinook. <laughs> so like, it's kind of silly, but yeah, they, like they already know what they're gonna fly. So, okay. Good for them. <laughs> so looking back at that school then, what was
0: the most challenging part of it, of the pipeline and uh, for you?
1: I So the, just the, I'd say the flying portion, like all the stuff before, all the officer stuff. I mean, uh-huh. I, at the time I was a senior enlisted so like i kind of knew you know i knew the army i've been in the army for 10 years i know i know all this stuff and i know how candidate schools like gonna look and doing all this stuff and the pt and all that um but you know learning a whole new trade was very difficult not only not only was that difficult but the the intensity of what you're doing it so in all those schools you kind of do this thing where you're up like five in the morning on the bus to the flight line You're going to the flight line and then you're wiping the cold out of your eyes, trying to wake up, trying to shovel down some coffee or something. And then you're flying, trying to figure out how to hover or whatever you're doing at the time. And it's like already mentally exhausting. And you do that till like lunchtime and then you get done with that. And then you take the bus back to the academic center. And then you sit in four hours of class where they talk about weather and turbulence. And they talk about aerodynamics and how blade foils work and how the symmetry of lift happens and like all this like next level stuff. So that's like a super exhausting day. And you do that for like half of it and then it swaps. Then you do all those academics first thing in the morning and then you go to the flight line in the afternoon or you're flying at huh. night, like till, you know, 10, 11 midnight, depending on when the sun goes well, down.
0: I think you told me once it's like flying a helicopter is like uh, just beating me, <laughs> beating physics every day. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. it's. It's not like it's not like a plane where it it wants to fly. We're we're continually trying to beat physics into submission so that we can stay in the air. Um, and we do it successfully.
0: (laughs) So what would your advice be then to, you know, if you know, soldier going into flight school, what's your advice to them on being successful or what things should they focus on ahead of time maybe?
1: um i'd say just stay focused you know i mean that's that's pretty generic but um you know setting up study groups and and just having kind of a core i mean you're gonna make friends with everybody that's there or you know the that your kind of group of classmates you kind of a lot of you all stay in the same classes and kind of stay through the whole time and people kind of shift a little bit depending on seat slots and stuff or somebody gets sick or whatever you know um but you'll you'll kind of be there pcs with the same people like the whole time so it's, it's important to find the right group of people that uh, aren't partying on the weekdays, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. obviously have your personal time and have your good times when you can because life is short. But, like, the, you know, the guys that are, that are, are hitting Wing Wednesday every, every single Wednesday probably, you know, aren't, aren't going to keep you focused on, you know, passing the exams and, and, and hitting all is your the, goals. Is
0: the washout rate pretty high?
1: Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's high. I think everybody that's there is there for a reason. And that's kind of part, it goes back to the selection process, right? So there's a reason why there's a minimum GT score. There's a reason why there's a SIP test. There's a reason why we look at uh, NCERs and, you know, past accomplishments and stuff. And you say like, this guy is a motivated person. This guy or gal is a motivated person they should be successful in it because we don't because the army doesn't want to wash somebody out after spending a million dollars on flight training to them you know i mean it happens but the army doesn't want to see that because it's a bad investment right yeah so.
0: absolutely so once you've completed that airframe specific flight period, or flight training at the very end of that course do you go to additional training for national guard or does the national guard have specific uh advanced level flight training past that initial training
1: um so after flight school there's nothing specifically that you are required to do i guess okay. so you're going to go back to your unit and even when you do your advanced airframe at, at fort rucker they okay. they're, they're kind of they're teaching you the operator level stuff so they're not teaching you like mission level stuff mostly so okay. so a black hawk's a good example so a black hawk is like a multi-role aircraft so what medevac pilots do is vastly different than what which is
0: what we got here yeah
1: vastly different than what air assault pilots do vastly different than what vip pilots do right so it it wouldn't be cost efficient for fort rucker to teach you uh here's how you do air assaults and then you go to a medevac unit so that's why when you come out of flight school you go to a medevac unit and they teach you mission tasks hmm. so or you go to an aerosol unit and they teach you mission tasks like that's for the instructor pilots at your unit to teach you so there's that additional training but that's just that's just called progression training you get to a unit nobody expects you to be a super pilot when you get there um they, they're there to make you the best pilot there um that's all uh in pursuit of making pilot in command because ultimately like you want to be the aircraft commander um, and then from there you know it's just the next thing is air mission commander mission briefing officer uh, flight lead doing doing kind of uh, next role stuff ultimately as an aviator we have what are called tracks so right now there's four tracks for aviators um, and that's going to be your instructor pilot maintenance test pilot uh, safety officer and uh aviation mission survivability officer and, and is that same on the warrant officer side or the o grades um technically o grades can go to those tracks but they don't okay. typically and it's not really a thing for them because officers are doing officer stuff right making all those powerpoints. <laughs> uh no but um i just <laughs> um no but so for us you know what do you do besides fly a helicopter and golf Hopefully nothing, but the Army doesn't like that answer, yes. so they, they, they find ways and, and it's important, right? So in, in, instructing and teaching the new guys out of flight school uh, how, to, how to safely handle a helicopter and stuff, being a maintenance test pilot, you know all the stuff that uh, not necessarily breaks but goes into phased maintenance, so you know every seven days, this lube seal needs to be checked or this. You know, widget needs to be and tightened after or whatever. That's,
0: after that's replaced, those maintenance test pilots are are running it out. Yeah, or
1: checking what? it out, uh, doing the stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that uh, you know that's kind of wizard work to me. But they'll they'll bend these little tabs on that the airfoils and like make it you know not not vibrate me to death or whatever. And they do all that stuff and they check the stuff off, sign the stuff off, and put it back in service or whatever. So there's stuff like that. Safety officers. Uh, you know, doing all their things, all what you can imagine—OSHA and safety stuff. Do and then air mission survivability officers, kind of basically work for mission survivability. So defeat, defeat, and threat. You know, uh, a lot of bad enemy stuff out there that you know we work to make TTPs and uh, different types types of tactics to defeat enemy threat.
0: Now, how does that work? So you're saying a lot of that, a lot of that initial, like. You know, subject matter expertise you're getting as a pilot is coming from those flight instructors at your unit depending on your mission set you know what you know when you came out of uh, flight school what was your airframe
1: yeah so when i first went on the active so when i first came out of flight school on the active side i was a black hawk guy okay uh 60 um at the time the alpha limas which this is a lima right here actually so i, I flew limas for just about a year before we got the the mic models in there. So if you ever look inside there, the mic models full glass cockpit and there's screens and all the stuff. Beautiful. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's advantages to Lima's too, though. So don't, don't let me dissuade that. Um, so, uh, flew those. And then I flew the, uh, then I flew the VH 60s down the road here. So the VIP ones. Okay sweet leather interior and totally like a different saffron different. Yeah. and like painted gloss, golden black on the outside. And you had to wax it after you flew it and stuff and did all that stuff. Um, so, so a plethora of a, on a Black Hawk realm for me. Um, and then coming into the guard, I was, um, set into a Lakota unit. So I immediately went to the Lakota aircraft qualification course.
0: And, and where is that located um, at?
1: So the Lakota Aircraft Qualification Course is located in uh, Watts, which is Western Army Aviation Training site.
0: Is that a National Guard site? Yeah, it's a a
1: National Guard site down in uh, Marana, Arizona. So out in the desert, it's kind of like an hour and 15 south of Phoenix and probably 45 minutes away from Tucson. So it's just basically out out in the middle of nowhere, but you you know, you can drive to either. So does the Guard have a couple of those sites? Yeah, the Guard has some actually major uh, major training sites for aviation. So why- Is
0: isn't is like 52% of all aviation in the guard, aviation assets in the guard? Do you know? I don't know the percentage off mm, the top of my head. I
1: don't know that number, but um, I mean, I'm sure it's pretty, it's pretty large. I mean, they, they've got quite the fleet. The active side has pretty, like the cabs are pretty robust too though. So um, my, my first active duty company was probably bigger than all of this, just the company. So, but anyway, yeah. So there's there's, few, there's quite a few National Guard training sites for aviation, Watts, which is the Western one, Eats, which is the Eastern one, and that's up in Town Gap. Uh, so they got a lot of Blackhawk stuff up there. Uh, they got some Chinook stuff up there too. Um, Hats, which is high altitude aviation training site, it's out in Colorado, okay. so they're all the mountain stuff, you know, uh, dealing with power. So aircraft work a heck of a lot different At 1,000 feet than they do at 10,000 or 12,000 feet. And when you're at 10,000 feet and it's hot and it's humid, like all that plays into factor with how air intake works into a combustion engine and how much power you have. So, um, you know, they're they're teaching some very fantastic practices out there on how to maintain life um, and aircraft control. EATS, watts, HATS, OF watts too. So then there's the fixed-wing aviation Army training site. And that's out in West Virginia. Um, So they're doing all the fixed-wing stuff and all the planes and jets and stuff. So a little bit of everything. Yeah.
0: So I guess, I mean, we kind of understand the life cycle now, becoming an Army aviator, which is what the whole point of what we were talking about. But, you know, what's that behind the scenes, you know? So obviously, like there's some inherent skills being an Army aviator aviator, because you, you get the aviation skills to transition to the civilian side. I feel like that's like, at least everyone that I've talked to that wanted to become an aviator in the Guard, most of them fly uh, on the private side too, you know, as well as being that M-Day soldier. What's your, um, you know, what's your thoughts on on that, and, you know, what's the, the good, bad, and the ugly of being an Army aviator in the Guard?
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so, so the, obviously, you're getting all this multi-million dollar training for free Uh, not only for free you're getting paid to do it so you're getting these excuse me these qualifications these credits and a lot of the the rotary stuff it can all be transferred to an FAA license so that's gonna you know make you marketable on the outside um, if you want to go do that stuff Um, it it's a good pipeline to get into the airlines because even your rotary time counts towards the total time required to fly for uh, regionals and, and mainline and stuff like that. So there's definitely an opportunity. I say the bad, the ugly, I guess, and it, not so much, but if you're, if you're a rotary pilot and you're going into the civilian sector looking to be a rotary pilot, the thing is those jobs just aren't very prevalent, right? So like how many helicopters fly over your house every day? Not very many, right? Like there might be, if you're in a major city, there's probably a few police helicopters, there's probably a few medevac helicopters like and that's Not a it. Ton, yeah. so like every year there's hundreds of pilots retiring competing for this amount of jobs on the rotary side so that's it's kind of hard to be competitive unless you have the five thousand six thousand hours stuff like that and uh try, trying to do that stuff but how many jets do you see flying every day a lot yeah so those jobs are out there <laughs>
0: so you talked
1: a little bit about that piece of it. Um, what
0: about balancing your military and civilian you know, uh, uh, requirements as a guardsman? Is there, is there a specific amount of flight hours you have to maintain as an M-Day soldier? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so that's, that is probably one of the things that people need to think of um, when, especially if they're joining as an aviator in the guard, because we still have minimum flight hour requirements. We have the same minimum flight hour requirements that the active side has. Mm. So oh, really? You don't, you don't get a pass because the minimums are the minimums, right? They're, they're the minimum required to maintain proficiency. So you couldn't be like, well, I'm in the National Guard. I don't need to maintain minimums. Like, I'm just that good. No, like, these are the minimums. And that's, f- for my airframe. it's 48 hours every six months. So
0: that's now
1: yeah and it's the same thing for the black hawk too but um you know you kind of do the math and it works out to like a couple hours a week so maybe like a flight a week or whatever but the thing is you get get weathered out not fly or you you know you're busy and stuff and then you need to fly a couple times next week or oh i'm on vacation for a... you need to fly several times the next week and so all this stuff adds up right so um it's not aviation and the National Guard is not by any means a one week in a month two weeks a year job um it's it's a str- it's a very part foolish uh, full-time job you know it's there's a lot of stuff going on there so it's important to know that to make that decision hey I want to be a National Guardsman I want to fly all a cart for the guard it's not really the way it works like you need to make a conscious effort to like continue to fly keep your proficiency not and you should want to do that right because I don't want it, I don't want people in the back of my helicopter knowing that i'm not proficient right yeah absolutely um so
0: what so so does it matter what airframe you get on as far as like opportunities in the civilian world i know i know you mentioned rotary wing time still counts towards your total flight hours for um for like the airlines but you know is there different opportunities based on if you're flying chinooks or if you're flying lakotas you know on the outside
1: yeah um i try to i it's an interesting question i don't know if one rotary asset is going to be a whole lot more beneficial than the other i would say like the lakota there are civilian lakotas you know ec45s that operate out in the civilian world as like medevac or as like uh firefighting kind of capabilities. so that that might help a little bit if you're trying to specifically get that there's not really a whole lot of, like, Blackhawks and Chinooks in the civilian world, but it still kind of equates to flying some of those, air, flying some of the similar airframes. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's, I don't know if you could say, like, ah, like, I should pick this airframe to correlate it with a civilian job okay. of, of that. Just I don't, kind of, yeah. Uh... If anything, jets. <laughs> like, to be honest, like, if, if uh, you go through the selection process, well... If someone goes through the selection process and there are times when you go through selection, it's like, hey, we've got um, six Blackhawks, six Apaches and a C-12, you know, a, a plane. You know, there, there are fixed wing slots now through flight school. Um, that would probably that would probably be the most beneficial if you're specifically looking for like a civilian aftermarket job, I guess.
0: OK, so does it does it matter then? Uh... Like, what's the life expectancy of a pilot on the warrant side versus the commissioned officer side? I mean, you know, as a warrant officer, are you flying your whole career? As an officer, are you flying your whole career? Does that taper off, you know, specifically for the guard?
1: Yeah. Um, so on the, on the O grade side, it definitely does taper off. And that you can actually kind of correlate that with flight pay because flight pay for O grades kind of goes like this <laughs> because once you hit, like field grade and start pulling like battalion command stuff like your flight hours decrease your requirements decrease and then you're just gonna fly less because you're not gonna be a flight lead of an aerosol and a hot lz like so you're kind of in an admin role anyway you're barely probably pulling minimums um so yeah as an o-grade you're gonna fly less I, i don't know know a lot of o grades that do fly a lot there's probably a few out there that, that do figure out ways to fly a bunch but uh on the rotary side not not too much okay. um warrant side you can pretty much fly as much as you want for as long as you want um really the only time like if you make that w if you make that lightsaber and you make that w5 you probably will be in a staff position that's pretty senior that will might keep you out of a cockpit a little bit more but you could essentially fly for twenty plus years. Oh wow! Just cranking
0: yeah. it out. So if I really just want to fly nonstop, become a warrant officer.
1: Yeah, I mean, say that, but you know, there like there's some there's some bad habits, too. I mean, when I was my second duty station, active duty, we I was in TDA, and we had no, uh, no lieutenants on our like TDA, so no no, so all the platoon leaders were W2s and W3s. So I was a platoon leader, like doing O-grade stuff, right? And, and so there's times as a warrant officer, you're kind of expected to just be an officer too. And sometimes you get roped into being the assistant S3 or you're the LNO for, you know, the field artillery guys or you're doing some staff stuff. So staff stuff does happen to warrant officers here and there. Um, you know, I'm working at the Guard Bureau right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, it, so it happens where you kind of step away from the cockpit a little bit. A little bit, but, you know, so I guess what's your advice then? Like looking at,
0: you know, soldiers who are interested in becoming aviators, whether enlisted personnel warrants or O grades, what's your advice to them on, you know, how to get started to carry themselves through successfully?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned before, you know, the checklist on the recruiting website. And I'll tell you, for, for me, being in a non-aviation unit when I came in, being, you know, far removed and in Compo 3, which has very little aviation anyway, not even knowing really any aviators, like it literally started with me Googling like Army Warrant Officer Pilot. Yeah. What's up? You know what I mean? Like and so and you just stick to the script and you start just cranking out everything on that checklist. I get a a lot of times kind of this question in some form or another, and it kind of comes out to be, you know, what's the secret or like, what's the hookup? You know what I mean? Like, is there a secret, there's no secret handshake or some ring knock that happens. Like, it's not like I can go, Hey, this is my best friend, Jarrett. Like he's going to make you a pilot tomorrow. The the checklist is there. The documents are there, all the things you need to do. So just start doing the stuff, you know what I mean? Like get them all done. Um, And then, you know, once you're, and and some of that is a little bit of tenacity and it's a little bit of determination right the thing is like if you're a guy that looks at a checklist and says like oh there's 20 different things i need to do here like i'm never going to do this that's probably not the people we want in the aviation side yeah. right like they don't make sense yeah so there's a little bit there's a reason why there's hoops sometimes you know but even for me as a lowly truck driver like it's, <laughs> i figured it out you know what i mean like I got a flight physical, even though I wasn't an aviator, you know, I, I, did an, so, I, did an a- I did my flight test when I was in Kuwait. You know what I mean? Like there's, you know, if you're determined, you'll and get And there's a done. will,
0: there's a way, basically. So what, so what was like, I know you mentioned Googling everything, but like, was there a single resource that you went to that really helped you a lot on your path?
1: Um, resource, I mean, so just the U- US Army recruiting website, and it, it'll tell you like how to do, you know, active to active, reserved active, you know, all, all the different pathways like that. And then um, other than that, just mentorship, you know, I I did, I didn't know a lot of pilots, but I knew warrant officers, right. So um, my third deployment, I was part of a joint task force. We had some pretty senior W4s there and stuff. Um, and, you know, kind of connected to them. Most of those guys are like CID or, or uh, counter Intel and stuff like that. But I mean, they, everybody knows everybody, you know, it's in and networking and just, you know, Hey, do you, do you know a guy that you know might be willing to interview me and uh, possibly give me a letter of recommendation or whatever um and kind of work in work in the system that way but
0: well i guess do you have any for our audience out there do you have any uh last thoughts you want to give that we kind of that we haven't covered on today so far
1: um no n- nothing out of out of control i'd say i just say you know aviation for me has been great like i've i've worked a lot i've flown a lot i've been all over the world in a helicopter and, an, and in a plane and in a jet. You know, um, I've flown all over the islands of Hawaii. I've flown over Southeast Asia and Korea. I've flown the DMZ in Korea. And I've flown uh, over, you know, hundred foot over water buffaloes in, in the Philippines. And I've flown in the, the great desert of uh, the National Training Center in California. Oh, wow. About 130 degree heat. Um, and I've flown all up and down the airspace within the National Capital Region, with you know DC, um, Andrews, Dulles, Philadelphia, New York City. I've wrapped around the Freedom Towers. I've flown around the Statue of Liberty. Um, you know, I've been all over in a in a jet too, like to Canada, to Mexico, to um, the Bahamas. So it definitely uh, is is a way of life. It definitely opens some doors, and it's definitely exciting for me. Um, hopefully. Uh, other people can find their path to it too.
0: Solid, well thank you so much for coming on. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. Tune in to Leaders Recon over the next few weeks as we bring in today's leaders and pioneers to discuss their experiences, share their wisdom, and help you grow as a leader. If you like this episode of Leaders Recon, please don't forget to subscribe below and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite
1: podcast.